Chapter 13, The Unity Theme of the Universe The History of Man and the History of Each Man We are, as British-American poet W.H. Auden once said, history-making creatures. We make this history together with our God. As Jews, we cannot allow ourselves to be passive observers, swept along by the events that others make. We are a history-making people. To make history is to build. It is to take a 3,000-year-old legacy and to move it consciously forward. To be Jewish is to feel the pulse of the past, harness it, and leave the world a better place for the next generation. Elisha Wiesel, son of Holocaust survivor and Nobel laureate Eli Wiesel, put it like this. When I said Kaddish for my father for 11 months, I was not just connecting with him. I felt connected with his forebears as well. I had a real sense of history, going back thousands of years, of what it meant to be part of a lineage with certain traditions, rituals, and values. For almost 2,000 years, when a parent has passed away, the Jewish child has said Kaddish. There's something profound about that. As I prepare my own son for his bar mitzvah and watch my daughter learning Hebrew, despite this crazy modern life with all of its distractions, I have the same sense of history and continuity. I think about where I came from, where I am, and where my Jewish children will go in the future. That's deeply meaningful and very grounding. A new definition of individualism. Contemporary society believes that each individual needs to reinvent himself from scratch. The alternative, it is presumed, is to be stuck with outdated and irrelevant traditions where everyone is forced to be the same. But Judaism takes a different position. Not only is our starting point divine and sublime, but there are well over a hundred generations of genius to build on. We begin our journey perched on the shoulders of giants. It is then up to each individual to create their own personal legacy and become someone entirely unique. This leads to a profound idea on the meaning of individualism. The Western concept of individualism is that each person gets to invent himself, provided that he or she does not harm anyone else in the process. The Jewish idea of individualism is that each individual provides his or her unique contribution to the ultimate perfection of mankind. In other words, in the Western world it is live and let live. In the Jewish world it is I need your contribution and you need mine. I need you to be you, and you need me to be me. I need to find ways to help you fulfill your potential, and you need to help me fulfill mine. In the course of this book, we will see that this approach, far from limiting innovation or dampening man's entrepreneurial spirit, is actually a greater enabler for these things and much more. Our highest aspirations as individuals use the same exalted guidelines as our aspirations as a global community, They reinforce rather than undermine each other. As we weave our threads of understanding throughout the section into a whole fabric, what will emerge is that we, as humans and as Jews, are not only active participants in history, but God created a deliberate, incomplete world and empowered us to complete it. The unity theme of the universe. 
Quantum physics has shown that two particles can be entangled, or to use an alternative word, coupled. These particles may be on two sides of the universe, yet a change in the properties of one of them, say their spin, will lead to an instantaneous change in the other particle. Einstein called this spooky action at a distance. Since nothing can travel faster than the speed of light, not even information, these particles cannot be communicating with each other. The only explanation is that they must be the same particle separated into two expressions. This tells us that the entire universe is, in fact, a grand unity. Four basic forces underline this universe. The strong force, the weak force, the electromagnetic force, and the force of gravity. Scientists believe that these four forces are really one force. They believe that only one force emerged from the Big Bang, but at a very early stage, around 1 37th of a second, the universe had cooled sufficiently for this one force to divide into four different expressions, the four forces we have today. Since the 1980s, thousands of scientists dedicated their lives and many tens of billions of dollars to prove this. Smashing subatomic particles together at very high speeds, they hoped to recreate the super-hot conditions that existed soon after the Big Bang, when the forces were still united. In fact, they have managed to combine three of the four forces and are now working on showing that the last one, gravity, is also a part of this grand unity. Scientists believe that by showing that these four, four forces are one, they will produce a TOE, a theory of everything. But why set out on such a search to begin with? Why not just accept that there are four forces? The answer is that it is an axiom of science that correlates unity and truth. They believe that the deepest truth is unity. Why do scientists believe in unity so deeply? It is because they are sensing the secret behind the structure of the world. Entanglement and combining the four forces are nature's way of revealing a second overarching theme of this section. Indeed, the whole book. It is the unity theme of the universe. Let us explain this in Torah terms. The three tens. In Judaism, ten symbolizes a thing in its entirety. It is the first unit of one after one itself. Only God can be one. Only God is pure unity. Before creation, there was only God. After he created the world, there was multiplicity, the creator and the created. Each created being, in turn, had its own identity. The events of the Torah unfold into a listing of ten events exactly three times. Nothing is coincidental in God's gifts to mankind, so this curious fact must mean something. The first ten happened when God created the world. There were ten sayings of creation. The second ten was in Egypt, the ten plagues. And finally at Sinai we received the ten commandments. We cannot create one, but we can create the next unit of one. We can unify the multiple parts into a new gestalt, a whole that is more than the sum of its parts. We can, as the physicists have shown, entangle all of reality to show that they really all connect to one source. In Judaism, this new unity is expressed by the number 10. So whenever we see 10 of something, we are seeing a whole process, every angle combined to create a new reality. We are seeing the first unit of one in the creation itself. 
In other words, the ten sayings of creation tell us that the world had a beginning, and that beginning must therefore have been for a purpose, for it would contradict God's absolute perfection to create something without any purpose. The ten plagues confirm that God not only created the world at the beginning of time, but that he continues to play an active role in the running of the world, the idea of divine providence. He is involved in our lives. It matters not whether this is in the form of the open miracles of the plagues or the form of the hidden daily miracles of nature. To him, it is all the same. He is the God of history unfolding his radical divine plan. The Ten Commandments represent the inner spiritual content, the purpose of the Ten Sayings of Creation. The outer physical garments are the laws of nature. The natural world may be a thing of wonder, but it reveals no purpose. The inner spiritual form of this world of nature is the spiritual world of the Ten Commandments. They give meaning and content to the world. Moreover, the Ten Commandments began the process whereby the Torah entered the physical world, giving the world not only its purpose, but a means of achieving it. Without this, man as a physical being would have no way of cleaving to God in this world. The spiritual and the physical realms would have remained totally separate. After the Torah was given, a mechanism was provided where the body could soar together with the soul, and the two were united once again. So did King David put it, the Torah of God is pure, it restores the soul. Ten, ten, and ten. God created the world, he continues to be involved in it, and he gave it its moral and spiritual purpose. The long road to human understanding begins with these three tens. Man the responder and man the initiator. We as mortal and limited humans had no part in the ten sayings of creation. In fact, we were created without the involvement of our choice, just like the rest of creation. The ten plagues were also completely beyond our control. On the other hand, the final ten, the ten commandments, are truly ours. The Torah was offered to man and it was up to us to accept it. We were and are given the autonomy to determine what our own inner spiritual and moral reality will be. At Sinai, the Jewish nation bought into core spirituality by entering a covenantal relationship with God and accepting the Torah, which was the expression of that covenant. We accepted the Torah. The word Torah has two meanings. It is connected to the word hara, which means to become pregnant or fertilized. The Torah is God's means of implanting the seeds of spirituality and morality in man. It also means a book of teaching from the word, from the root of hora'ah, from which moreh, a teacher, is also derived. If God has a purpose for man, he has to have a way of communicating this. This is the Torah. Without it, the Jews would not have made history. They would not even have survived. This book, the Torah, came not only to teach us wisdom, the subject of section 3, but also holiness, the subject of our next section. That holiness and that wisdom translate into a practical plan of perfection of the human personality. That is the subject of the final section of this book.